you about what changed my life, I have to uh, take you back many years to uh, June that none of you ever knew. Uh, the June of my youth, when I was a young girl, I was born into a Methodist family. My family was very religious. I'm not sure that all in my family were born again, but we were church attenders. And from my youngest days, I was taught to go to church, to worship God, to read my Bible, and to be a good little girl. And the Methodist church that I attended was just a part of that process. It was a uh, time in my life when I was familiar with religion. I was familiar with church attendance. Uh, I grew up saying the Apostle Creed with my parents because children didn't have children's church in those days. We went to the Sunday morning services and sat with our parents. I, I was very familiar that there was God the Father, Jesus Christ the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But beyond that, uh, I had no knowledge of the three of them. I was 15 years old. I was uh, the president of the Methodist Youth Fellowship in our local church. I was very active in youth activities beyond the local church. I uh, sang in the adult choir every Sunday morning. And it was when I was 15 years old on a Sunday morning singing the last hymn of that Methodist service that I had my first encounter with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit... Uh, came to me, not, a, not as a reality, it was a feeling. It was a prompting. It, it was sort of a, a nervousness. And I was so ignorant of the Holy Spirit that I did not know this was the Holy Spirit. But I felt compelled to go to the church altar. Now in our church, we did not go to the church altar. I had been in that church 15 years of my life, and the only time anyone ever went to the church altar was to join the church. And I was a member of the church. But it was such a compulsion, such a compelling, that I went to the altar, and I left the choir off, walked down a little hall, appeared in the front of the church with all the eyes staring on me, and walked across, and stood at the altar. And my pastor said to me, what do you want? He sort of jumped, you know, when I appeared. I had on a white choir robe. I guess he thought I was the Holy Ghost that <laughs> had showed up. Now here's the sad thing. I did not know what I wanted. I, I had no answer for that. I, I, I thought I'd feel foolish to tell him. I just felt I was supposed to come and stand at the altar because I felt compelled. I, I felt kind of an urgency to be here. I had no knowledge of God, uh, of the way God works. Even though I had been in this church for 15 years, 
To my knowledge, I had never heard two words, born again. I had never heard those words. I was a good kid, president of the youth, but I had never been born again. And so when the pastor said, what are you doing here? I had to come up with an answer. And the only answer I could come up with was within the small confines of my understanding of Methodism, religion, what I had seen go on in this church for 15 years. And I said, well, I think God is calling me to Africa to be a missionary. Now, I no more felt called to Africa to be a missionary. It was just the only answer I could come up with. And Africa was the only country I knew where you might be a missionary. And he said, well, good. And he thanked me and said, the Methodist church needs missionaries and sent me back to the choir loft. But when I got home that afternoon, I knew that whatever reason I went to that altar, it had not happened. Don't ask me how I knew that. I just knew that whatever reason I was at that altar, that whatever reason I felt compelled urgent, pushed to go to the altar, whatever it was, I had not met that. And so I went into my bedroom and I, I still see myself as a 15 year old. I knelt by the bed and I began to pray. And for the first time in my life, I heard the voice of the Holy Spirit. And I did not hear the voice of the Holy Spirit audibly. I heard this internal voice. I did not hear a voice that said words, but the words could not have been any clearer to me than if someone had walked into the room and spoken them. I understood what they said. It was from here. And I heard this voice. And this voice said, you did not do what you were supposed to do. And I said back, I know that. That's why I'm kneeling by my bed. I did not know what I was supposed to do. And had the Holy Spirit said to me, you must be born again, I, I wouldn't have known what that meant. As far as I knew, I was a good kid. I, I didn't really know what it meant to be a Christian. I was a member of a church, singing in the choir loft, president of the youth, working with the youth out in the district. I had never been born again. And this voice, this internal voice said to me, you did not do what you were supposed to do. So finally, I prayed this prayer. And I said, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. So this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to give my life to you. And I raised my hands like this. And you can do with me, God, whatever you want to do. And I was born again, even though I didn't have a concept of it. God met me there. And he, you know, I'm 84 now, and he really has done with me as he, as he saw fit to do with me. So, you know, 15 years old, I'm born again. And, you know, the next 15 years of my life, the Holy Spirit was in me because every born again Christian has the Holy Spirit living within but the Holy Spirit was not a person to me. The Holy Spirit 
uh, was not someone that uh, I felt I, I knew. He was still just part of that Apostle Creed that we quoted in Methodism. And as I, in my later years, look back on those 15 years from age 15 to 30, the Holy Spirit certainly did things for me. The Holy Spirit led me to Jean. Uh, the Holy Spirit straightened out that thing about me going to Africa to be a missionary because my biology teacher, when I was 17 years old, was teaching us high school kids biology. She stopped in the middle of her lesson and she said, you know, God has called me to be a teacher. And I, it was like an arrow to my heart. I thought, that's what I want to do. I don't want to be a missionary in Africa. I want to be a teacher. And then she said this, second sentence. She said, the Lord showed me I could win more people to the Lord by being a teacher than I could as if I went to Africa to be a missionary. And I knew that was the Holy Spirit. No doubt in my mind, the Holy Spirit had her say that. But it was just one of these, now I want you to grab this. It's just one of these experiences we have with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit goes much deeper than an experience. And I did not know that. And so, you know, I'm 30 years old at this point. Uh, the year is 1969. Jean and I have been married 10 years. I'm a mother of two sons. Gary was eight. Mark was four. And I was uh, just minding my own business kind of, you know, serving God in our Methodist church. And Gene came home one night and he had been to a Pentecostal church and had been baptized with the Holy Spirit. Gene uh, was running around with Pentecostals, people who spoke with tongues, people who were not at all like we Methodists. And it just thoroughly upset me that these Pentecostal people had messed with my husband, my nice, sweet Methodist husband, and had just messed him up. And I thought, well, I've got to straighten this out. That's what us wives like to do, right? Straighten things out. So I went to the Bible because I, I thought, well, you know, I'm a Sunday school teacher. I know the Bible and I know this stuff is not in the Bible. And so I started reading the Bible to prove him wrong. And the Bible proved him right and me wrong. <laughs> so on March the 25th, 1969, sitting home at two o'clock in the morning, I was baptized with the Holy Spirit. I was the first person I ever heard speak with other tongues. And I sought this experience because I understood it from Scripture that what my husband had received was true and was biblical. This baptism of the Holy Spirit, I have been baptized with the Holy Spirit now 54 years. And I, can't, I, I cannot, I didn't even have to pray about what had changed my life because the woman that stands before you tonight is simply here because of the Holy Spirit. 
and the baptism of my life into the Holy Spirit. Now, this baptism into the Holy Spirit is not some kind of experience we have at an altar. And we, we talk about, well, you know, I went to the altar and encountered the Holy Spirit. Certainly we do encounter the Holy Spirit. But this baptism was an immersion of my life into the, what the Bible calls the power of the Holy Spirit. Acts 1.8 says, you shall receive power after the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And the Holy Spirit for 15 years had been in me. And certainly he worked in my life through those 15 years, but I had never received power. I had never had my life immersed a baptism into the Holy Spirit. And it, it was uh, this thing that while it was not radical at that moment, because at the moment I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I did not feel very spiritual. Gene had come home that night from a prayer meeting and he said to me, Buddy was baptized in the Holy Spirit tonight. Buddy and I had gone to the Methodist church together all of our lives. My grandmother and Buddy's grandmother were best friends, and I had grown up with Buddy. And when Jean said Buddy received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I thought, well, Buddy got the baptism. I'm better than Buddy, and if God give it to Buddy, God would give it to me. And so I asked Jean to pray for me. Now, Jean had never prayed for anybody to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. He had just been going to prayer meetings. And that night, he said, all right, well, sit in this chair. So I sat in the chair. And he said, now, we're going to ask God to baptize you in the Holy Spirit. And I said, all right. And so he led me in a prayer. And Jean's testimony is that he had seen these people who prayed for people to be baptized in the Spirit. He had seen them shake people. So he came over and took my head and shook it like this <laughs> and says, receive ye the Holy Spirit, because he'd seen people do that. And then he stepped back because we were going to speak with tongues. And he said, now speak. And I said, well, I've got nothing to say, which is a miracle. <laughs> All of you who know me know I'm always have got something to say. I'm never without words. And so he said, well, I don't know what else to do with you. I, uh, you just sit here till God baptizes you with the Holy Spirit. That was at midnight. I was baptized with the Holy Spirit two hours later. So this was not some tongue of fire that sat on my head. I just simply said to the Lord, Lord, I've got to go to bed. And all I know to do is just receive the Holy Spirit into my life and baptize me. And he did. Wow. He, he did. Now, this baptism of the Holy Spirit uh, was power. You shall receive power. It was not an experience. It was a receiving of power. 
Because even though I was born again, I, I did not have this power. This power is identified with the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And that word power in the Greek is the word dunamis. It's the same word we use for dynamite, dynamo, dynamic. And, you know, the thing about dynamite, if you explode it, it changes everything. You can't encounter dynamite without everything changing. And that is the way this baptism of the Holy Spirit has been. It was not an experience where I received power, but it was a power that came into my life. And it is a power that has worked the last 54 years of my life. This ongoing power of the Holy Spirit. So that when you see me tonight and I testify about the woman I am, it's because my life has been immersed into what only the Holy Spirit can do. And life is intended to be immersed into what only the Holy Spirit can do. Now, the first thing that this baptism of the Holy Spirit did to change my life is it changed the flow of my life, the directions of my life. Because like all human beings, uh, we are led... We are taught, we are motivated to be led by the understanding, the mind. We are led by the emotions. And all of my life, even though I was a Christian, I was very dominated by understanding. I was very led by emotions. I was a very fearful woman. I was a very high-tempered woman, even though I was Christian. Uh, these forces dominated my life. And John 7, verse 38, says the words of Jesus, out of your belly, this is the belly, out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. So Jesus taught us that the life flow, the way we make decisions, the way we determine the way we feel, the flow of life is to come from here, from the spirit. The flow of life is not to be dominated by the understanding. And the great miracle of the baptism of the Holy Spirit is the moment we speak in tongues, we do not do it because of the mind. Paul said, when I pray in tongues, my understanding is unfruitful. And tongues does not come from the mind, it comes from the Spirit. It is the voice of the Holy Spirit. And that speaking in tongues dethrones the mind. It is the, the ability the Holy Spirit has given to us to dethrone the mind. The Bible even says you'll come to places where you don't know how to pray and the Holy Spirit will make intercession for you. Dethroning the mind. So when we pray in tongues, that is coming from the flow of the belly. Out of your belly, life will flow. Out of your belly. Now, I did not know that. You know, I was newly baptized in the Holy Spirit. My only experience 
had been with Methodists and now I'm with a few Pentecostals. I did not know this, but someone had heard of me and this was back in 1969. 1969, Methodists did not speak in tongues. So we were, Jean and I were very odd. When people heard of us, uh, we were different than most Methodists. So this woman, we lived in Alabama at the time. She lived in North Alabama. She said, I, I, I've heard of you. She called me and she said, I want you to uh, come to a meeting I'm having and I've heard about you. I want you to give your testimony. And I agreed to do that. It was a cold December night when Jean, myself, and a friend drove a couple of hours to be with this woman's meeting. It was one of those bad December nights. Snow flurries, sleet, the threat of snow. But we just, we know we're happy campers. We trudged on and made it to the meeting. And when we got there, we were in a meeting that was room that was probably as big as this. And there were a total of 10 people that showed up. The three of us and six more, <laughs> 10 people. Well, one more, there was a Pentecostal preacher there. So, you know, they did their little thing and right in the middle of the music, this Pentecostal preacher who had been baptized with the Holy Spirit for 20 years, stood up and started praying for sick people. And he said, there's somebody here that has a backache. Stand up and God will heal you. And she stood up and he prayed for her and the pain left. There's somebody here, your neck's bothering you. She stood up and he prayed for her and the pain left. For about 20 minutes, he called out diseases. Those were the sickest six women I have ever seen. They were popping up and down like popcorn. And I thought, well, you know, they really need this. Now hold this in mind because I'm coming back to it. Then they introduced me and I come to the podium just as I'm doing now. And I did what she asked me to do. I gave my testimony about the baptism with the Holy Spirit. And then I closed it and I said, let us pray. Now, when I said this, something had happened that I've not told you yet. When I was praying about doing this meeting and I, I spent a lot of time praying about it, I was in my home sitting in my prayer spot and the Holy Spirit said to me, that there was going to be somebody in that meeting that had sugar diabetes. And I was to say, there's somebody here tonight that has sugar diabetes. If you will let me pray for you, God will heal you. Well, I had never done anything like this. I, I had never had God give me information like this. And I had said in my home, okay, I'll do it. So now I'm at the end of this service and I say, let's pray. And the minute I bowed my head, I heard that unheard voice of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit said to me, say sugar diabetes. Say there's somebody here with sugar diabetes. If you'll let me pray for you, God will heal you. The minute that happened, 
my understanding kicked in. And I began to think about it. And I thought, well, it looks like to me if somebody was here with sugar diabetes, that Pentecostal preacher would have had it. He had 30 diseases, and how could he miss sugar diabetes? Now, how many of you agree with me? That makes sense. He had 20 diseases, and now God wants me to say sugar diabetes. And so I, I thought, he, why didn't he say it? Then the second thought is if I say sugar diabetes, nobody will stand up. And then I'll look like a fool. He had 20 diseases. He didn't miss one, and I had one, and I missed it. And I'm in this inter internal argument. And I did probably what all of you would have done. I prayed a nice prayer and dismissed everybody. So I'm standing by the podium, and these six women are filing, going out the door over here, telling me, how wonderful I am, how much they enjoyed my message. And the last one was at the door about to exit. She turned around and she came back. And she said, Mrs. Evans, I wonder if you would pray with me before I leave. And I said, what is it you want me to pray about? She said, I have sugar diabetes and I want God to heal me. Now people, that was a life-changing moment for me. It was life-changing. In that moment, I understood I had to quit doing life from here. I had to quit being dominated by what I thought, what I felt down in my emotions, that I had to change the flow of my life from here to here, that I had been given the ability to pray in tongues so that my life would not flow from here, it would flow from here. And I said to God that night, and that was 54 years ago, I said, God, I repent of this. I said, with the help of the Holy Spirit and by the grace of God, I will never again do what I think I ought to do. I will follow the Holy Spirit. And it was life changing. 54 years later, I make every effort not to live here, but to live here out of your spirit. John 16, 13, Jesus said, when he, the spirit, now I don't want this to be religious for you. I want you to grab the power of this. When he, the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth. If you want to know what the truth is, ask the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will tell you the truth. We're just always wanting to know the truth. The Holy Spirit tells you the truth. The Holy Spirit, when he comes, whatever he hears, that he shall speak. And I still to this day, I will say to the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, what is it you are hearing that you want to tell me? Uh, to me, this is power. You have power when the Holy Spirit will guide you into truth. You don't have to wonder about what's a lie and what's true and this and that and the other. The Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit hears things and then he will come and tell us what we need to know, what we need to hear. And, and he will speak whatever he hears, he will speak. And then the most powerful part of this 
When he comes, he will show you things to come. Like he will speak to me two weeks before I go to a meeting and say, there's going to be a woman there with sugar diabetes. Now this is power. This is not just coming to an altar and having this experience saying, well, I was baptized in the Holy Spirit on March the 25th, 1969. It's this flow of power, this life that comes from here that bypasses the understanding and causes us to live as God intends us to live. It was life changing for me. I raised my children that way. I said to my children, your daddy and I know the Holy Spirit and whatever he knows, he tells us. Whatever he sees, he tells us. Whatever he hears, he tells us. And I would say to those teenage children of mine, you can go out and you can do whatever you want to do, but the Holy Spirit will tell us what you're doing. And he would, he would. One night Mark went to a movie. I told him he couldn't go to see. He was about 13 years old. Called me from the lobby on a payphone and said, Mother, I'm at that movie you told me not to go see. And I've already bought the ticket and I'm going in. And I knew the Holy Ghost was going to tell you I was here. And I just thought I'd go ahead and tell you before he did. <laughs> he said, you can just do with me what you want to. I said, all right, just go on to the movie and we'll settle it when you come home. The Holy Spirit. Thank God for the Holy Spirit. Let's thank God for the Holy Spirit. He shows us things to come. He tells us what's the truth. What he hears, he will speak power. You shall receive power. I made a decision that night in that whole sugar diabetes thing that I know my husband's voice. Gene is very personal to me. I live with him. I know him. Gene and I are very personal. And I said to the Holy Spirit, you will never again be an experience. You will be a person to me. You will not be an experience. You will be a person. And if I can know the voice of my husband, I can know your voice. And I made the Holy Spirit very personal. Uh, I didn't even have to pray about what changed my life because of the person of the Holy Spirit. The second manifestation of power when you're baptized with the Holy Spirit is that the Holy Spirit comes to position us into the plans and the purposes of God. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us in Christ Jesus for good works. The NLT Bible says, So we can do the things He's planned for us. Jeremiah 29 verse 11 says, for I know the plans I have for you, saith the Lord. Yes. Now I want to say that again. God said, I know the plans I have for you. So here I am as an 84-year-old woman, and I want to know the plans God has for my life. You're here, and God says, I have plans for your life. And don't we want to know that? Don't we want to pursue that? Don't we want to say to God, what is it 
you have in mind? What is it you intended? Now at age 30, when I was baptized with the Holy Spirit, the year was 1969, we lived in Gadsden, Alabama, a town of about 50,000 people. I had no concept of the woman I was going to become. I was 30 years old and I had never heard a woman preacher. I had never seen a woman stand in the pulpit. I, I had never encountered anyone other than pastors and evangelists who felt like God had a plan for their lives, a, a purpose, a, a divine calling. Uh, I had always thought of myself as a college professor. I wanted to be a teacher, and my goal, I, I was a graduate of the University of Alabama. I was going back and get my doctorate degree so I could teach in college level. And God stepped into my life, and these verses became very real to me. God did not speak to me that he had a plan for my life, but rather he spoke to me to do something. And this doing was the initiation of the plan of God that I'm still living today. Uh, we lived in that town of about 50,000. Uh, this was about two years after I had been baptized with the Holy Spirit. I was just praying one day really about going back to college and how with two boys and bills I could afford to go back to college and become that doctor that I wanted to become. I wanted to teach English literature and history in college. I was praying about that and God said to me, I've not called you. I heard this very definitely. I've not called you to teach that way. God said, I want you to open your home and I want you to teach women in your home. The Lord said to me, I've given you this home to be used for my purposes. And God had worked a miracle for Jean and I to own that home. We were located in the center of town, very easy to get to our home. And God said, I want you to start a Bible study for women. He said, there are women in this town that need to be born again, spirit-filled, needed to be delivered from demons, needed to be healed, needed to be taught, and he said, I'm going to send them to your home. And he told me, he said, you cannot invite them to come because I know who should be there. You don't. Now, this is hard to have a Bible study when you can't invite people. It would be like showing up here tonight. None of you were invited to come. And I mean, I, I'm telling you, understanding kicked in on this one. I said, dear God. You can't, you can't have Bible studies if you don't invite somebody. I was real nervous about teaching the Bible because in my teaching experience, I had taught Sunday school and they would give me Methodist quarterlies that told me what to say. I'd read them on Saturday night and I could speed read and once I read, I can stand up and tell you what it said. That was the way I taught Sunday school. But all of a sudden, God said, I have to teach the Bible. I was not even a Bible student. I read Psalms at night. 
I had never read Obadiah, Nahum, all those names we have trouble pronouncing. I hadn't even read any of that. I just kind of stayed in the Psalms and Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, kind of Bible student. And now I'm going to teach women. I'm going to tell them what God wants them to know from the Bible. So two days before the class started in my home, I was real nervous. Not so much about the Bible and what I was going to say, although I was nervous about that. I was just nervous big time. How can you have a Bible study when you can't invite people? And so I was praying over this. A friend of mine called and I answered the phone and she said, what are you doing on Thursday? I said, well, as a matter of fact, I'm teaching a Bible study in my home on Thursday. She said, I didn't know you did that. I said, well, I do. I didn't say anything. <laughs> I just said, sometimes you need to keep your mouth shut. So I just said, well, I do. And then she said, can I come? And I said, well, I think we have room for you. Come ahead. <laughs> because I knew if I told her I couldn't invite anybody, she wouldn't come. And she came and she brought 10 women with her. 10 women with her. And that was how the Bible study started. I never invited anybody. Uh, I taught it for nine years. I had over 70 women that would come a week eventually. And God began to use me. Now, I can't tell you what responsibility did for me. All of my life, I had been just kind of an observer. And sometimes I was a critical observer. I'd watch other people serve God. And if I didn't like it, I'd criticize. And, uh, you know, if the person behind the pulpit didn't kind of meet my standards, I, I didn't criticize openly, but I'd say something to Gene, or I would be an internal critic. But all of a sudden, uh, I'm involved in the kingdom. I'm involved in purpose. I'm involved with something that God has given me the assignment given me the responsibility. I couldn't shove it off on anybody else. And it required faith. I had never done anything that required real faith. But it required faith out of me. Faith beyond what I had studied and known. Faith to just do something where you don't invite people. You don't really know the Bible. But it made me a woman of faith. It made me a student of the Bible. I learned more by teaching than I did by listening because I felt responsibility. I felt, you know, that God needed me, that God had given me this assignment. Responsibility matured me. It stretched me. It grew me up. And it brought to me an honor toward God because for the first time in my life, I knew what it felt like to be anointed. I had never done anything that I felt anointed. And all of a sudden, I had not only this encounter with the Holy Spirit, but this anointing to stand up and to, to know, to feel it to understand that what I was saying was not coming from here. It was coming from here. This anointing 
of the Holy Spirit. To be able to lay hands on women who were dying and see God heal them. To cast devils out of demon-possessed women's anointing. And it made me grow up. He gave me responsibility. And in 1975, a, a minister in our church uh, gave me a word, called me up on a Sunday night, and he said, June, God's going to open doors for you, and he's going to send you from coast to coast, from border to border in our country, and he's going to send you overseas, and you'll cross the waters, and you'll preach for God. Now, this was before there were women preachers. I'm in a town in northeast Alabama, 50,000 people, and it was just beyond me. How can God do this? And he said to me, someone is going to call you, and the conversation will begin this way. You don't know me, and I don't know you. And he said, when you hear that conversation, it will be an open door, and God will send you forth to preach in other places. That was a Sunday. The next week, I had a conversation from a woman living here in Atlanta. And here's the way the conversation started. You don't know me, and I don't know you. And it was an open door for God to, to use me. I've traveled throughout this country from coast to coast, from border to border. I preached overseas. I preached in Russia. I preached in South America, I preached in the Middle East, Israel, England, and it was because God laid his hand on me, because God had a plan and a purpose for my life. God, God brought me to a place where I, I could not bring myself. Uh, this this uh, purpose, this uh, responsibility led me to the third way that power worked in my life. And it was to bring this authenticity to who I, I really am. So that the, the woman that stands here is the woman God intended me to be. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15.10, By the grace of God, I am what I am. Now, for every one of us in the room, there's great potential, but you only get there by the grace of God. I wouldn't be this woman without the grace of God. I would never had, have come into the true understanding of myself. Uh, you know, we, we're all, you know, crazy today about identity. Well, I know who I am. <laughs> I, I, I'm comfortable in my own skin. When I was younger, I always wanted to be another woman. I always looked at other women, wanted to be prettier than I was and better than, you know, I was. And I, I didn't like my loud mouth. I wanted to be a soft-spoken little Southern girl that, you know, the men had to lean their ear into. And I have a mouth that can be heard five city blocks away without a microphone. Sunday morning, Jean had a message in tongues in the second service, and I had the interpretation. And I thought about, you know, Phil was here, and I thought, well, I could come up here and 
get the microphone so everybody could hear me. And then I thought, no, I'm just going to give it all volume and everybody in the room will hear me. And I did. I assume everybody heard me. I did it real loud. And so I said to Jean afterward, I said, well, I didn't feel led to go up there and get the microphone. I said, I guess everybody could hear me. He said, well, the only complaints we had were that church that's way down the street. And they said... (laughs) (laughs) They said you were too loud. (laughs) But, you know, I did a conference one time and this woman came up to me after and we'd had 10 speakers there. She said, Ms. Evans, you're my favorite speaker out of all the speakers. You're my favorite. And she had these big hearing aids in both ears. And she said, I'm deaf in both ears and you're the only one I could hear, Ms. Evans. You're the only one I could hear. The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. Knew when I was born, I was going to need a loud mouth to talk loud, to talk without a microphone. This authenticity of who we really are, the potential of the Holy Spirit working in a little 30-year-old woman in Northeast Alabama when all I had going for me was a baptism in the Holy Spirit and the Lordship of Jesus and God is my Father. The the power of the Holy Spirit. Now this authenticity leads us to the place God wants everybody in the room to be, and it's in Ephesians 5.18, to be filled with the Spirit. That's a requirement, to be filled. The human skeleton is built with a rib cage that comes like this, The hip bones recede, and right in the middle is an empty place. Right here is empty, at the belly, empty. And that is a symbol that we need to be filled. There is an emptiness, and God made it that way because he intended to fill that. And so Paul said, uh, here's the way you're to live every day. Be filled with the Spirit. So we were made to be filled. And truth is, everybody in the room's full of something. <laughs> if you need to repent, we'll pray for you at the end, but everybody in the room's full of something because we're made to be filled. Every human being feels that emptiness and they try to fill it. And it's made for God, the Holy Spirit, to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And and that is God's requirement. How do we know what we're full of? Out of the abundance of your heart, your mouth will speak. I'll tell you people, I'm not saying this in a bragging way. I can be with somebody for 15 minutes and listen to the conversation and know what they're full of. I hate to say it, but it's true. Just go converse with somebody And listen to the conversation, and you'll know what they're full of. Sometimes it's anger, sometimes it's bitterness, sometimes it's strife, sometimes it's fear. Just listen, and you'll know what fills people. And God says to us, you have an obligation to be filled 
with the Holy Spirit. I had an experience that showed me this. Agnes Hood was 80 years old to my 30-something years old. She was my mentor. Miss Hood had received the baptism in the Holy Spirit at Amy Simple McPherson's church in California back in years past. And when she was baptized with the Holy Spirit, her husband divorced her, and she lived the rest of her life single. At age 60, she sold everything she had and bought a one-way ticket to go to South America to the jungles in the Amazon and to preach to headhunters. She spent uh, 30-something years uh, in the Amazon. And she came home and was in the Pentecostal church Jean and I were members of, and she was my mentor. I would go to her home to pray with her because I did not know how to pray. And she didn't give me lessons. She made me pray. And she and I would pray together. And she was at the end of her life. She was in a hospital. They had had to amputate a leg because of a reason. We did not know it, but she was going to die about two, three days later. This was in the 70s. And back then, you know, we didn't have a lot of equipment like we do now. So they had asked that somebody from the church would come and sit with her during the nighttime hours to be sure everything was okay. It was my turn to sit with her. It was two o'clock in the morning. I had been reading a book by the nightlight. Sisterhood was in the bed. She had tubes going in this arm, tubes going in this arm. She was as good as dead then. She had not moved in hours. And the nurse came in at two o'clock. She motioned to me that she was going to give Sisterhood some kind of shot in her hip. And so I stood on one side of that bed in that room and the nurse rolled her toward me and I held her this way so the nurse could have access to her hips. And it was a rather long needle. I don't know why they were doing this, but nevertheless, it was a long needle. And when she put that needle in Sisterhood's hip, it woke her up. And Sisterhood had a voice louder than mine. And when she woke up, she sat up in bed with those tubes in her arm. She raised her arms and began to speak in tongues at the top of her voice. And I don't mean it was soft. She was going, and that nurse jumped back, you know, and I thought, oh, dear God. And I just was, you know, petting her. I thought, I'm not getting involved in this. (laughs) She went and got another nurse, and they're going through charts, and sisterhoods just, I mean, you could hear her up and down the hall. The old woman's supposed to be dying, and she's just speaking in tongues. And they're just, you know, doing everything, trying to get her to lay down. And finally, they're going to call the doctor. And I thought, dear God, they're going to get him out of bed to come here. And she's speaking in tongues. So I said to them, I said, look, I know her well. She often has fits like this. (laughs) That was the best word I could come up with. And I said, if you'll just leave, I can get her back to bed. And they said, are you sure? I said, I'm positive. I've seen her have these fits. And so they left and I got her 
back down and she went back out and died two days later. I was forever changed because in the middle of the night, an old woman who's had her leg amputated, she's in the process of dying and the world comes in and sticks her. The Holy Spirit came out. And I thought, God, when people stick me, let the Holy Spirit come out. When people talk ugly, let the Holy Spirit come out. It ends a lot of arguments when people say something ugly to you. If you do like sisterhood, kingdom, and they'll probably leave and won't bother you anymore. <laughs> no, don't do that. Don't do that. <laughs> but you follow my point. Life-changing power. Holy Spirit changed my life. Last but not least, the Holy Spirit <clears throat> connected me to the community of the church. If there's one thing I love beyond God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and Gene, it's the church. I love the church. And it says in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, for by one spirit are we all baptized into one body. So here's the Holy Spirit working in my life to put me into a community of faith because we cannot do life alone, not in this business. You, you, you have to have the community of faith. In this room tonight is great faith because we are a community of faith. We are God's people. We can do what no other people in the world can do. We can pray and get answers. We can pray for the sick and they'll be healed. We can cast out devils. That's the community of faith. The community of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. A sacred thing. This is a sacred thing. It's not a building. It's a church. The body of Christ. After I was baptized in the Holy Spirit, I was reading the book of Acts and I came to, I'd never read it. That Acts chapter five, where Ananias and Sapphira dropped dead in church. And I thought, dear God, the Holy Spirit's in his church. The Holy Spirit watches over his church and God puts us into a community of faith. God put me in that Pentecostal church. I, I didn't particularly like it. I didn't, you know, I didn't particularly want to be there. God put me there. And I came to love those people. I have had the same pastor, the pastor of that church in 1969 is still alive today and he's still my pastor. We still talk to him on the phone. When Mark stands up to preach, I'm not his mother. Mark is a pastor to me. I listen to him, not as a mother. I listen to him as a woman who needs faith. Somebody said to me one time, I can't believe you're here all the time. I said, it's because I need faith. And faith comes by hearing of the community of faith. Our son Gary was in a terrible car accident and uh, he died and they brought him back to life, but he had been without oxygen for over 20 minutes and he was a vegetable. 
And they told us at the hospital in Birmingham, Alabama, that um, they were going to put a feeding tube in his stomach. He was in a vegetative state. His eyes were rolling. He was posturing. And they said, well, put him in a nursing home and let him die. And I said, well, I don't want my son living like that. Gene agreed. And they said, well, you're, that's your only choice you have. And you know what Gene and I did? We went back to what the Bible had taught us. We anointed him with oil. Uh, we've traveled all over this country. I had this church praying, my church in Alabama, where I first went, that Pentecostal church. I had people in Pennsylvania, Texas, California, uh, overseas, Florida. I contacted the body of Christ as far as I could. And they took my son by ambulance to take him to the hospital where they were going to put a feeding tube in his stomach because he was a vegetable. And when he arrived there, the neurologist took him in to test him. And the neurologist came out and said, we can't explain this. There's nothing wrong with him. He is alive today, a certified public accountant. And listen to me, it was the community of faith. Yes. It wasn't just Gene's faith, my faith, Mark's faith, praying for his brother. It was a community of yes. faith. Yes. And in the days ahead, let me tell you people, yes. we are going to need the church I speak this prophetically. Yes. We are going to need the church. Yes. We, yes. we cannot have this attitude that we can do life without the community of faith. Yes. And what I love about believers yes. is we have faith in the room tonight. Yes. Thank God. I know Gene has faith. Some of these senior saints that come to my B group, we have faith. Yes. We have faith. Yes. We can pray the prayer of faith. So this is what changed my life. Two words, Holy Spirit. Yes. Holy Spirit, Amen. baptized into power.